is Cinema Talk, brought to you by the Department of Communication Arts at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. My name is Jim Healy, and I'm the Director of Programming for the UW Cinematheque and the Wisconsin Film Festival. For our maiden voyage on Cinema Talk, we're pleased to bring you a conversation with Manola Dargis, co-chief film critic of the New York Times and one of the most widely read film journalists in the country. Prior to her current position, she wrote film criticism for The Village Voice, LA Weekly, and The Los Angeles Times. On October 31st, 2019, Manola Dargis visited our communication arts department to speak with graduate students and present a Cinematheque program that she personally curated, highlighting the works of pioneering women filmmakers from the silent era, a subject she's been dedicated to celebrating in her New York Times columns. She also took the time to sit down and chat with my colleague Ben Reiser. Here's our conversation. I am lucky enough to be here right now with Manola Dargis. Uh, she is on campus with us today to do what seems like endless amount of, <laughs> of things. We really got our money's worth. <laughs> yeah, you just spent an hour and a half talking to um, uh, film studies grad students, mm-hmm. and then in a little while you're going to be doing colloquium. Little, it's a kind of a very uh, informal conversation with David Boardwell in front of an audience. Yeah. And then tonight you are our special guest at UW Cinematheque um, for a screening of Shoes, and mm-hmm. then a few other. Mm-hmm. other a few other. It's a uh, four movies by women, all of whom were born uh, in the in the the late uh, 19th century. So, so I wanted to really kind of uh, show people. I'm very interested in these movies, and I really just wanted to share. These movies that I think are super interesting and say a lot about women in movies and their role historically. Yeah, well, that's super exciting. I'm not even going to ask you anything about this okay. because you're going to be talking about <laughs> the rest of the day. But um, as I discovered uh, last night, you spent some time at SUNY Purchase, um, mm-hmm. I, as did I. We didn't overlap, but I was super excited to see that oh, you yeah, yeah. were an undergrad there. I was wondering if you, um, I, I know you weren't there for film. I was there as a literature major, but I actually took a lot of film classes, and I did think about joining the film department, um, but I didn't really need to because I could take a lot of film classes. So I took a, I took some filmmaking courses, and I also took film studies courses, and my main professor was Tom Gunning. Yeah, mine yeah. too. I took a couple production courses. I studied with John Rubin, who's an experimental filmmaker, and Dick Rogers, who's no longer with us, who was a documentary filmmaker, and I took some classes with him. Yeah, when I started... Aaron Mavakian was the head of the department, uh, but when he died uh, after my freshman year, uh, John Rubin stepped in, and I also took classes with Dick Rogers. What were your feelings about the filmmaking classes you took? I liked the film production. I'm glad I did it. You know, it was like shooting on Super 8 and 16 millimeter and these cute little cameras that we had. Um, So I did take filmmaking classes, but at the same time, um, I was becoming more interested in film studies, and kind of Tom Gunning was my gateway drug, <laughs> I guess. Um, I really loved—he was a you know, fantastic teacher, very uh, beloved. And I took different kinds of classes, Japanese cinema, avant-garde cinema. We had an entire class that was devoted to Orson Welles' movie, A Touch of Evil. Um, so it was just absolutely terrific. And re- really, the more that I became immersed in film, the more I realized that I really liked watching movies and reading about movies and writing about movies rather than making movies. It was interesting to make them, but it didn't really kind of uh, excite me the way that, uh, you know, studying them did. 
Yeah, I, I love Tom Gunning and his classes, and I remember being in the Coral Hall uh, at Purchase watching movies all the time and actually falling asleep through a lot, oh, a lot no. of them just because I was, in, well, I don't, you were probably <laughs> a more studious college student than I was. I was, in, I was there to become a filmmaker, mm-hmm. and so um, I was making movies a lot and not sleeping that much, except in some, it seemed like the Coral Hall had like some sort of sleeping gas that was um but i do remember uh we didn't get to do touch of evil with tom but he we did lady from shanghai Uh and it was one of those things and maybe it sounds like you did the same thing where he'd run it on one of those projectors analytic projector yep absolutely you see Mm -hmm. one frame at a time yep exactly right it was very fun and uh, meanwhile i was taking a, a course in the uh where i was reading the only book i was reading for this one course was don quixote so i had this one semester where i was like only looking at one film for a class and only reading one book for another class and that was really fun i like the kind of deep dive that was really fun so i feel i you know i for me i grew up watching movies and i was a very committed and i saw a lot of different things my parents didn't police me at all this is back in the 70s and I just would see everything but I didn't really understand that you could read and or study a movie until I took a class with Tom Gunning and so that was a really life-changing moment for me where I was like oh you can analyze a movie it wasn't just that you would see like oh I saw a movie I really liked it I didn't like it that this this kind of deep engagement, which I was used to from high school, of course, I'd gone to a very rigorous high school and then, you know, in college, but really that we could study movies. That was just completely novel and, 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 and transformative for me. It was great. When you decided to go to Purchase, did you know that you would take some, some film classes or Oh, gosh. Something? No, no, no. No, I didn't even know that they had a film school. I, w- I wasn't going to go to college, and then at the very last minute I applied to purchase. Um, I really didn't know what I was doing, and uh, I literally applied the summer before the fall semester started. Um, it was kind of a lark. A friend of mine said, oh, there's this interesting school, and it's not very far from the city. I was, I'm from New York City. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll do that instead. I was supposed to go to Europe with a friend and travel around for a year, but she she uh, she ended up not doing that. So I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to go by myself. So really by chance, I applied to purchase, got in, and then just started taking classes. Immediately I was interested in literature, but then I was like, oh, film. I like movies. And that's how I – it was completely accidental, really. Yeah. I also grew, I grew up in Brooklyn, and so I had that same thing where – uh, it was sort of the best of both worlds because during the week I'd be living on campus or purchase, and then almost every weekend I would drive home and, uh-huh. and spend the spend the weekend with my with my high school friends and of course with my family. I started a rock band on the weekends. And <laughs> then, and we would occasionally play on campus. Uh, it to... was great. The proximity. I mean, it was great. We got people who were living in the city teaching at the school. That was really nice. And I went home a lot, but I was I went home to work. Oftentimes I was work. I had a job in the city, so. But I, you know, at some point later on, you just stop. But it was really easy. You would just, you know, go to—you had everything the city had to offer, and then you could go back to school, you know, which was really also really nice. I wanted to um, talk to you, ask you a little bit about um, two— Two film reviews that you wrote in the in the past year, films that I, <laughs> that <Uh-oh>. I <laughs> all, all good films that I saw and I, I usually I usually if, if if it works out this way I'll see a movie and then re, then check out that's the way to do it yeah. yeah yeah I don't believe that people you're not offended by that oh gosh no I mean I think you know particularly if you're at all sensitive to like you know quote unquote spoilers um, I think you shouldn't 
you should not read a movie review until afterwards. I mean, if you're kind of interested to know if the person likes it, maybe read the first sentence or two. You should get a kind of an idea. But if you're really, you know, if you don't want anything spoiled, then read the review afterward. You know, absolutely. Yeah, both of these films, and they're both independent films, which is, I guess, maybe more of a coincidence than anything else, were films that I didn't know much about going in. Uh, one of them was a film that we actually premiered here at Cinematheque. Uh, I'll just tell you the names of the films. <laughs> can stop keeping you in suspense. I know. Um, like, wait, wait, wait. Uh, the, what are they? The, the Last Black Man in San Francisco, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which we, which um, premiered. There's a weird thing going on in Madison right now. It actually premiered at, like, this sort of second-run theater. That oh, we really? Have. How we weird. Have, we have a $3 theater, and they, they occasionally now will— will have first-run films that they still only charge $3 for. Wow, that's really nice. That's really super. That's, I would love that. I it, love going to second-run theaters, though. I mean, you know, it's still, yeah. it's like a three, that's, you know, that's how I saw Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, it's, it's in a suburban theater outside of Los Angeles. I was really, I thought $3 was exactly how much money I should spend on that. It was like three fifty. <laughs> yeah, a couple of years ago, they finally switched over to digital at the second-run theater, which made oh. it a little less special, but I mean, yeah. obviously, there wasn't much they could do. No, 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 everyone has been or, forced, so you had yeah. no more scratchy prints, huh? Right, I think the last print that we had was that second um, Tom Cruise Jack Reacher movie. Oh, yeah. Which mm-hmm. seemed like a total 80s canon film anyway, so it was <laughs> perfect to have. <laughs> it seemed like Delta Force uh-huh, or something uh-huh. with Tom Cruise. Hilarious. Um, and then the other one is Give Me Liberty. Oh, which yeah. Which has much more of a Wisconsin connection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and we premiered here at uh, at Cinematech at the beginning of this semester, like at the end of the summer. But then I then I read your reviews shortly after seeing each one of those films. And uh-huh. you just, you captured things about those films in your writing that I just, just knocked oh, me out. Like gave me tingles. You. Oh, thank you. Things. Can I read a couple of these? Well, if you insist. <laughs> Uh, or maybe I should have you read them. I'll, I'll read them. Or do you, no, you no, read no, them? no. I I rarely go back to my own reviews, so this is a okay. Here's a couple of excerpts from the from the last Black Man in San Francisco. Uh, in moments, it feels as if Jimmy and his faithful artistic friend Montgomery, Jonathan Majors, a mournful heartbreaker, are dreaming the movie into existence, pouring its surrealistic jolts and hallucinatory beauty out of their heads and straight into yours. Oh. It's all right. <laughs> um, I'm just curious. What uh, do you read a lot of reviews? Is that something that you do as a, as in general? Do you feel like it really kind of? Um, it, do you feel like it amplifies your experience of the movie? I I I, I think sometimes it does, and mm-hmm. you know, depending on the writer. Um, uh, I, one of the one of the reasons, I mean, since I'm in this sort of film exhibition mm-hmm. game, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, both I have two jobs here. One of them is at Cinematheque, where we show movies all year round uh, on campus for mm-hmm. free. They draws mm-hmm. from the entire history of film, and then the Wisconsin Film Festival, our eight day festival every oh okay every April, uh-huh. um, where we show new things sure um, and and repertory stuff. Um, but I do I do like to. Um, after I see a film, and if, especially if I have a strong opinion about it, I do like to go mm-hmm. see what see what other people just, are thinking. God bless you. That's all. I'm very, I'm very, I'm always so happy that people are still reading reviews. You know that they're oh, not yeah. just kind of going to Rotten Tomatoes and just checking out the numbers, seeing if it's fresh or not. So it's always exciting that people are giving. You know. Well, making it, the time. Right. And I, and I think for me, it's important to like sort of find 
find writers that I that I that and see if I agree with them or or don't agree with them in general. Mm-hmm. And then you know, so then sometimes when I really do have to make a choice and I'm trying to figure out whether I really want to try to catch a movie before mm-hmm. it disappears or not, then I will maybe go to those writers. And, and based on what I know about them, say, okay, they didn't like it. I probably will like it. <laughs> or, or they loved it. That means I'm going to love uh-huh. it. But even then, before the movie, I'm just sort of scanning mm-hmm. just to get the basics of the right, review. Right, 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 right. Um, you know, but, but, but your writing, and I guess, what, I guess the question that I, that I really had for you uh, before I even read any more of these things was, was uh, who, were, who were some, growing up, did you, growing up in New York, did you read, who were the people that you read? I didn't really. I was not a, a consumer of movie reviews um, at all. Um, my, there were two, I grew up um, in New York City in the East Village, and if you know the East Village, I grew up in St. Mark's Place uh, between 2nd and 3rd Avenues, and mm-hmm. there were two movie theaters that were within a few blocks of where I, I grew up. Um, one was a second-run house, uh, St. Mark's, uh, St. Mark's Cinema, which was on just around the corner. And then Theater and they, 80, right? And then Theater 80 was the other yeah. was the other theater, and Theater 80 would show a lot of older movies, old kind of classical Hollywood movies. Uh, so I would go to Theater 80 for my Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire movies, or you know whatever, and then I would go to to whatever was playing uh, at St. Mark's Cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents were also big moviegoers, and. We had this ritual. I'm the oldest of uh, three children, and I was the babysitter. So my parents would go. I would be the babysitter. You know, they would come home, and then they would tell me all about the movie. They would just tell me, like, and then this happens, and then they would also tell me if I could go see it or not. There were certain movies that they felt, especially when I was younger, that I, sh- that I shouldn't see. Um, but they would give this kind of blow-by-blow. Blow. I realized in a lot of ways my movie reviewers were really my parents, my first movie reviewers, and they would kind of give me very involved, like, then this happens, and then this happens. And they would just describe the movie, and I would get very excited. And that was often, like, that was my review. And um, I really didn't read... Um, a lot of reviews. I think I started reading movie reviews really... I mean, we got the New York Times at home, but I don't really remember reading reviews. I think I just... I had a separate movie life, separate from reviewers. It was just, you know, and I didn't read Pauline Kael until I was much, much older. Um, And I remember I read... I read Canby, Vincent Canby in the New York Times, but again, later, I mean, I remember reading um, a review of Stranger Than Paradise, Jim Jarmusch movie, and being really um, interested. But actually, now that I think of it, I read it after I saw the movie. I went to see it. I'd heard about it. And it was very odd to me because the characters in the movie lived kind of where I lived, and they dressed like I dressed. And it was very eerie and strange to see people who you recognize who felt like this could have been this movie could have been made by a friend you know but I remember then um, standing outside the movie theater as the Upper West Side and reading Vincent Canby's review that was because they would put the reviews outside they still do that um, outside the movie theater and that was like that was one of the first where I was aware of a review and he, that he was writing about it and he gave it a very positive review obviously that's why it was had been posted um, Stranger Than Paradise was a movie that I saw when I was at Purchase right studying to be a filmmaker 80, is it 84 I think so 84 so you must have seen yeah. Yeah. I saw it when I was a freshman, and I also thought, oh, my God, I can actually make a movie Exactly like right. That. Exactly. <laughs> it really made you feel like in a way that, that, that you and your friends could make this movie. You know, I mean— Probably not because the quality is so very fine. I mean, he's a yes. he, he can it's be deceptive. An, yeah, he can be an exceptional filmmaker. So, um, 
But I just, just movie reviews were just not part of my life. And um, then um, I met Purchase, and I'm studying film history and some theory with Tom Gunning. I go off, I get a master's, and again, movie reviews were not part of that. You know, movie. I'm doing cinema studies. You're reading Laura Mulvey, and I then right. I studied with Laura Mulvey. Um, she came for uh, one year, and I took a couple classes with her. In fact, I quit my day job so I could take classes with with Laura Mulvey. Um, but so again, movie reviews weren't really part of my life until I started. Still, I uh, started writing for the Village Voice. I was in graduate school, um, getting my master's. And I took a class with Jim Hoberman, whose work I had read, but not, but I didn't know very well. And he was uh, at NYU. He was um, giving a, a writing class, and I felt like I needed a writing class to help me just finish my papers. And he ended up really liking me. He quoted me, quoted one of my papers for class in in the Voice, which I, you know, really, you know tickled me obviously. Wow. And then uh, the following year, while I was still in, at NYU, he recommended me, and I got a phone call out of the blue from the from the um, the film editor, and uh, I started writing for The Voice uh, while I was finishing while I was finishing up my graduate work. You know, I mean, it was just a master's, but it was still hard. <laughs> um, and they they brought me in to write about avant-garde cinema, which I knew very little about, and probably still know very little. But but nobody else seemed to want to write about avant-garde cinema, so they needed someone, and so they brought me in, and that's how I started writing. And and after a while, I must have been at least a year, maybe longer. They finally said, "Do you here's a?" I remember they gave they they started they asked me if I wanted to review movies for them. In addition to writing, but I had a column. I mean, I started The Voice when I was 27. I had a column on avant-garde cinema, which is ridiculous. Um, but then I started writing um, movie reviews, and I just didn't know how to do it. I just and what I did is I took some of Hoberman's reviews. I and um, I made all these little notes in the margins, breaking down how do you write a movie review? I, I literally had no idea. And so I was like, description, description. Oh, here's a kind of point about the acting, which Jim doesn't usually do. Directing, cultural point. Like, I just, I, I looked and I analyzed his reviews. And I didn't, co- I wasn't copying him. And actually, it was important not to copy Jim Hoban because he has such a pronounced style. And then you just sound like him. It's terrible. Um, but I just didn't understand, like, what a review was versus just writing about a movie for class. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really, I didn't really, bec- I didn't really start reading movie reviews until I was in my late 20s. It was basically mid-20s to late 20s. And I didn't start reading Pauline Kael. I think I read Pauline Kael for the first time in my 30s. I just, you know, she was not, we didn't get the New Yorker when I was growing up. My mom says it was because it was too expensive. Um, So she was just not really on my radar. Um, And uh, so I just came at movies very differently, really coming through them as, you know, studying them more than anything else. Do you think that was helpful to you to not have these sort of role models that you were looking up to before you actually started doing it yourself? I think in some ways, I think that, you know, I mean, I've known people who have really like, you know, loved Hoberman so much that they write very much like him. And it's very hard. You know, you and of course, there's famously Pauline Kael had acolytes uh, that are known uh, as Paulettes. and, you know, you can see her influence on their work, you know, to this day. Um, uh, so I, I think it was good for me not to. I think the harder thing for me was trying to, you know, not write like a – you know, I had been not really writing academically. But, you know, I had I had studied with Tom Gutting. I, you know, was at – was in graduate school to not write a term paper. But that yeah. was the thing where I had to learn how to not write – 
a paper like I would for school. It's you know it wasn't that I was avoiding reviews. It wasn't I wasn't making any sort of mm-hmm. you know snobby kind of. Uh, it was just literally that that was not uh, movies were just so integrated into my sure. everyday life that they that the review was just something that was just not part of it. As I said, my parents in a way were kind of providing me my first movie reviews, which you know, which is kind of a funny <laughs> way to think about it. Yeah. And, you know, and I do think that from that 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 one thing reviews do is they sort of have you know sometimes they help validate my opinion. Uh-huh. I was going to say like so I go back and read reviews and read your review and see, seeing give me liberty and then reading your review of it. I was like yes, she's so right. This is, <laughs> this is exactly. Oh, it's a it's a lovely movie and it's you know it just it came out of a, a very had distributed by a, a very small company that has uh, you know no kind of advertising budget, can't put it in a lot of theaters. So, you know, like some other really, really wonderful movies, it just is not going to get very high visibility. You know, it has no stars. But I think it's actually really a lovely movie. I'd seen it at uh, Sundance last January. And so when it opened, uh, I knew I wanted to review it. So I went back and saw it again. Right. And I heard you talking to our grad students earlier about your process uh, when it comes to writing reviews and trying to see a movie more than once. So did you do that in that case? Well, yeah. From I, it, it, It's always for festivals I do. I, I, you know, for certain movies, if I can, if I have the time, if there's another screening before my deadline, you know, especially if I really dig the movie, I'm going to try to see it twice. You can't always. It's not. But for movies that you see at festivals, you know, I feel like I, I I need to see it a second time because the festival context is such a hot house atmosphere. You're seeing, you know, if you're at like Toronto, I'm seeing maybe five movies a day. Mm-hmm. Sundance, the same thing. I'm seeing four to five movies a day. Um, I write more from Cannes, so I'm not seeing quite as many movies a day. Um, but with Sundance in Toronto, I'm only writing one piece, so I have the luxury of seeing a lot of movies. But at the end of that time period, you've seen 40 movies or whatever it is. Um, it's a big old blur. So you really want to, if you're going to write about a movie, and also it's been many, many months since you've seen it, you to do justice, I feel like you really need to see it. And I want to see it projected, of course. Yeah. That's, that was my next question. Yeah. That, that second time, uh, if the only thing available is a, is a streaming link, will you take it? or you're just No, like, no. no. And I, I, I'm just because, because the New York Times is the New York Times, I'm able, you know, people. You can throw your weight around. I'm able to have screenings you know so and you know it's it's not just my personal uh, screening it's because there are going to be other people there um i wish more people went to press screenings it seems you know traffic in los angeles is very very challenging um and so you know i'm often driving to go see a movie and i'm driving mm, minimum half an hour sometimes an hour to go see a movie and then you're you know the ride home so your two-hour movie is actually a four-hour movie you know with drive time so but that's fine. It, to me, it's the job. That's what you have to do. Do you ever find yourself at regular public screenings? Oh, of course. Not festival and oh, not Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course. I go to the movies. You know, I go um, particularly with my husband. If he hasn't seen anything, we go to see things. Or I've seen something that I really like and I want him to see it. Mm-hmm. So I'll, like, say, oh, let's go see this. You know, like, get out. You know, he hadn't, he hadn't seen the press screening, so we went and saw it together. Um Pain and Glory, you know, I had reviewed it already, but I wanted him to see it. Actually, he went to a press screening with me. So, no, we go. We have some great, great cinemas in uh, Los Angeles, so it's really fun. We have a really wonderful, if very expensive, uh, first-run house called The Arc Light, which is really great. Um, they only show three trailers, you know, it's stadium seating. It's just very, very comfortable. You can choose your seats. It's very nice. But then there are, like, you know, secondhand, you know, theaters. It's re- not secondhand, but second-run theaters. 
So I like going to different places, and then there's some repertory houses too as well. So. And just seeing a film with a with a sort of regular paying audience, does it ever sort of affect what you think of as your experience? No, not really. I mean, I think it's more about. I mean, it's great. You know, if you've liked a movie and then you see it with uh, a kind of at a you know at a, at a in a movie theater with a bunch of people and they really like it, that's nice. You know, but it doesn't really change or affect how I feel about anything. I mean, like everyone else, I get irritated when people are looking at their phones. You know, but that's just. You know, where people have been policing other people in movie theaters since the beginning of cinema. <laughs> right. And, you know, ladies, please remove your hats. Right. So instead of that, now you have, you know, the you know, people on their phones. So it's when you see an, a movie with other, with an, an audience, you have to deal with other people, you know, not all of whom are just sitting there politely. <laughs> it's okay. Well, thank you so much, Manola, for taking a couple minutes with me. I, this is, I'm sure, a crazy busy day for you. Oh, I'm delighted. It was great. It was really nice talking with you. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure. Thanks.